As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. Before I introduce the guests for this episode, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to last week's episode and subscribed. It's far more people than I ever imagined would be interested, and I've had lots of great feedback, so really thank you so much. Now, on to this week's guest. I'm speaking to Mari Chong about her cosy crime novel, Death by Appointment. This novel is the first in the series of seven books. Yes, that's right. Mari signed a deal to write seven books. Death by Appointment and the rest of the Dr. Kathy Morland series is published by an independent press, Bloodhound Books, who are based in Cambridge. Mari is a former GP and says writing helped her with finding herself again after a diagnosis of bipolar and cancer forced her to take a career break. In this episode, Mari and I discuss how writing is a cathartic process for her how she finds inspiration by eavesdropping, and why cosy crime is such an appealing genre in these uncertain times. But first, here's Mari with an extract from Death by Appointment. The air that morning was fresh and brought with it a fine mist that settled casually on the boy's skin. The eldest noticed and licked his upper lip, tasting the salt, checking for the bristle that he wished was there but was not. The tide was at its lowest now, and the shore lay beaten following the sea's torments overnight. Two large rocks, almost the height of the cliff itself, protruded from the water's edge, two craggy tombstones. Fueled by arrogance, the sea raced between them, smashing with a frothy spume and conceited glory. The rocks remained unmoved. The oldest boy stood close to the edge, his hand-me-down plimsoll saturated, his shorts and t-shirt billowing in the breeze like a sail. He leaned out, searching for the promised cave, hoping also perhaps to spot a hidden nook for treasure having just seen shipwrecked at the cinema the previous week for his brother's birthday treat. Since seeing the film, the two had spoken of little else, and despite their parents' protestations that no sharks or treasure could be found off the east coast of Scotland, they lived in hope. The boy leaned further but saw nothing. His brother, by four, far the more foolhardy, suddenly jostled past, and with a shout of excitement began the descent. The path was overgrown, and at times the boys had to crouch and shuffle, grabbing for the heather and sea grasses by the sides, the earth beneath their feet crunched and slid. Pebbles came loose and rained down, thundering over the edge like hail and bullets. Finally, they paused, breathless and panting, their progress further prevented by the end of the path and marked by a rotter and bench. 
The youngest boy climbed up and stood on the metal seat, entwined with golden gorse and a mass of fiery willow herb. The bench had, at one time, been painted a dark green, but was now splintered and bubbled, damaged by sun, salt and wind. No one had been down this far for years. From his elevated position, the boy squinted, searching to the left of the first huge rock for any sign of the supposed cave. In truth, although he wished Kevin to be wrong, he more dearly longed to discover the cave himself. He saw none, but caught sight of something else almost immediately, distinguishing it from the rocky shadows in the early morning light. A chill of revulsion spread over him. He gasped and fell against his older brother. Together they huddled against the cliff, unable to move. As the sun rose and the bodies of a woman and her newborn child were lifted, the rest of Canavan slowly began to stir. None of its residents could know that for years to come the tragedy would fester. The minister said that given the opportunity, wounds would heal, but he was wrong. In this case, the sore would seep and necrose. Over the years, suffering would pass stealthily through the village streets, along Mondoff Wind and Shore Road, up to the decaying farm where an old farmer once sat, talking of bygone days, his face weathered and furrowed as the land on which his father and his before him had farmed. The sorrow might, for the most part, go unnoticed, but would ultimately culminate in bitterness and malevolence as cruel as the sea itself. Hi, Mari. Welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to have you here with me today. Hiya, Chloe. Nice to be here. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to be talking today about your book, Death by Appointment, which is the first in the series of seven books, which Ooh. I was totally amazed to hear when you told me this. Um, <laughs> so I thought to begin with, you could just uh, tell us a little bit about the plot, but without giving away too many of your twists and turns. No, I'll try not to give anything away. So, yeah, it's the first book in the Dr. Kathy Moreland mystery series. Um, and uh, you're introduced to Kathy, who is a doctor recently diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And she travels to the coastal hamlet of Canavan in the northeast of Scotland to recuperate. Um, and while there, a tragedy occurs at a local beauty spot called Devil's Leap. And initially it's thought to be suicide, um, but Kathy finds that exactly 30 years ago to the day, um, Devil's Leap claimed another young life, uh, that of a mother who jumped to her death, clutching her newborn child. So um, Kathy obviously uh, realizes something sinister <laughs> going on in Canavan and begins to investigate, uh, putting herself obviously in danger. Uh, that's um, adds to the, the fun of it. So yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks so much. That is a uh, great description of the, the novel. Um, did you always know you wanted to write a series following the same character or was that something that you had kind of all these ideas bubbling over about um, about this one character that you knew you had to write a series? No, not really so much about a series. I mean, I um, I was a big reader as a child and I was, uh, I think many crime writers started off on Enid Blyton because they're such amazing adventure stories. Um, and uh, I grew up in a place kind of similar to, to the fictional um, uh, hamlet of Canavan um, on the coast uh, of Scotland. And it was like a typical 80s 
uh, childhood where we were building rope swings and tree houses and all that kind of stuff. And because we were on the coast, we uh, our, our parents were quite liberal and allowed us to climb up and down the cliffs and there were caves to explore. So you can just imagine the wild adventures we had as kids. So um, I suppose that's that sort of sparked my my uh, imagination, I suppose, at a young age. And we like my dad read to us a lot. Um, but I, I went down the more the science route when I when I hit secondary school and, and swerved away from from being artistic, I suppose. But I was quite imaginative. And um, yeah, the 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 idea that it of, of beginning writing came on gradually for me because I, I chose a medical career rather than a writing career. Um, and the fact that it, it, it developed into a series was completely chance, I would say. Um, <laughs> Kathy, um, there's a there's a lot of, of me and Kathy. Um, we have a lot of similarities, but no, I, I I had no idea at the beginning that this was going to be a series, and it's just been a happy chance that it's that <laughs> I, I've kept coming up with ideas. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so, have you always been interested in crime? Has that always been the the kind of uh, genre that that um, appealed to you the most when you were writing, or is that something yeah. that just grew from Kathy? Yeah, no, no, totally. I mean, I I um I went from reading the Enid Blyton books almost directly to Agatha Christie, and again, I think that's quite common. Um, Agatha Christie was like the grown up version of the famous five to me almost um and i'm not i'm not i'm not talking down about agatha christie's writing because uh, it really genuinely inspired me so much i probably i think i started reading those kind of books at about maybe 11 12 um and then moved on to um to kind of dorothy sayers um you know the the real classics and uh, my dad was a big reader of the golden age of crime, and I think he introduced me to other slightly less well-known authors like um, Freeman Wills Crofts, who are beautiful at crafting stories, really intricate puzzles. Um, and I, there's lots to love about, about murder mysteries, you know? And I think um, that's why uh, they, they are so, um, so popular now, you know, after all these these years and I keep going back and reading the, the older ones um, because they're they're safe you're kind of you've got a lot of guarantees with them mm. so um, you, you know that you're not going to have really gross overt violence in in most of these kind of things and I don't I personally I can't I'm quite sensitive and I can't watch uh, really graphic violence on television and I certainly don't want to read it um, and I think in uncertain times such as the one we're living in at the moment, there's nothing more um, comforting than knowing that good will overcome evil and that justice will be done at the end of a novel. And, and yes, from a young age, I would say that was really attractive to me anyway. Mm. Um, and, I, and it has continued to be so. And in fact, the majority of the books that I write, uh, that, I, that I read are, um, are, are crime, crime fiction, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you say that about these kind of uncertain times because there's definitely been a, a resurgence and in interest to that kind of crime book. Um, yes, definitely. And I know you've said that uh, one of the things that appeals to you about crime novels is the structure, the kind of traditional fact that you're going to get a good deal, a, a good payoff at the end, like you say, justice will be done. So when you're writing your novels, how do you plan mm. for this? And do you know all the twists and turns or do some of them come at the end when you're editing? Yeah, I mean... 
fairness is really important to me as a person just <laughs> genuinely in, in, in life but um, fairness is, is something that um, even the detection club the famous detection club um, speak about in their their rules for writing um, detective fiction and the ethics of, of crime writing as, as a really um, uh, as a skilled crime writer so um, and that means that that you allow the reader enough information that they could potentially solve the the crime um, before the before the big reveal um, and that that fairness and that structure is uh, really, really important to me when I'm writing the books. So, um, no, I'm, I maybe don't begin knowing the intricacies and the red herrings and things that I'm going to put in. But certainly when I start the book, I have a very good idea about the, the main characters that are going to come up. And I know what the crime is going to be and I know who's going to do it and their motive. Um, the way it comes together, I would love to tell you how it happens. Um, I'm not really one of these people that's a great planner and I don't have a notice board next to my computer with every everything drawn out. I'm not, I just am not that kind of person. And often I'm as surprised as the readers might be as to how all of the little threads come together. Certainly by the end of the book, I, I've every single one that I've written, I am uh, you know, astounded that it, it actually came together. Uh, I have that kind of sinking feeling about um, two thirds of the way through writing a book that it's never going to happen. It, how will it possibly come together? But it does always come together. And yes, the the then I can go back and put in those um, sort of stepping stones, those little clues that that if they haven't come up already would would um, give the reader the opportunity to solve it. Um, I don't know why. Maybe recently I've read a couple of um, of more um, recent books that have that have come out where where that has been missed, and I've really felt cheated. Um, mm. So so the the solution to the crime has come about through chance and and I feel like that's that's not that's not what I want to read I want yeah I want to be able to solve it before you that, that's, that's a big the fairness again isn't it? isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. and and you know this puzzle solving element is is what a lot of people do sign up for um as as well as the justice being done and so on it is this it, I think it's the only type of book where the author and the reader kind of are almost at the beginning of the book, pitting their wits against one another. Mm. And it's almost a duel of who's gonna who's gonna win. And yeah, I, I love it when I solve the crime. But, <laughs> uh, but I'm also slightly disappointed when I'm reading a book and I and I work it out first. But yeah, yeah. When it's too obvious, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm your perfect reader because I'm never good at guessing who the killer is so I'm oh, always someone right? that you can pull the wool over their eyes <laughs> I absolutely did not I absolutely <laughs> did not guess it in death by appointment at all oh, I'm one of these people delighted. that the the person you make most obvious I will go well of course it's them it has to be them <laughs> but it's like you said I'm, it's like a it's like a contract with the reader isn't it you're you're setting exactly. out this idea that they're going to be able to solve it along with your characters and exactly, I mean I know some exactly. crime writers do it differently so that you'll always know who the killer is from the beginning but that's a yeah. different sort of puzzle isn't it but no I, well, I definitely yeah, and, agree and with you I've I've been toying with and later in this in the in the series um, rather than who done it um, it being how done it um, mm -hmm. and that's a fun twist on it as well 
um, and that can be just as enjoyable um, as a reader too. Um, but no, I, you, you're saying you, you're easy to, to pull the wool of your eyes. I'm the opposite. So my husband <laughs> hates watching any films with me now because I always work. I, I always, within the, and any, any of these detective television series, I, I always know within the first five minutes. Yeah. I'm still impressed by that particular skill. I wanted to talk to you about your book's got a really large cast of characters, obviously, because you need to set up all these uh, red herrings. Um, but because you want them to be kind of viable options for the killer, they've got to be fleshed out and three-dimensional for all the revelations to work. So I'm interested to hear about that. You say you're not a big planner, but do you have kind of character notes or um, do you keep a little notebook with all their little facts about them? Or do, they, do the characters kind of evolve as you're writing them? Yeah, I, I feel like I they almost take over my life when I'm writing them. Um, no, at the beginning, I'll, I'll kind of have an idea in mind of, of, I'm just trying to think of the most recent one that I've just written. And um, I had a really good idea about who my main character was going to be and what his job was going to be, who he was married to, uh, where he lived, uh, kind of general idea about personality and so on. But it's only when I start writing that um, he really takes, you know, life. Um, and when I say that, I really, really mean it, you know, when, when I'm writing and, and it's quite an intense period when I'm writing, cause I write quite fast. Um, I do talk about these people as if they're members of our family or they're, <laughs> they're actually in our, in our family life. So my husband will come back from work and I'll say, wow, you, you will not believe what happened to such <laughs> and such today. Um, so they do, they live with us and, and I, when I finish the book, it, it's it's quite sad when they go, even if they were weren't particularly nice people, they they become very, very real. And um, I put a lot of my e even the murderers have a big bit of my personality in them or, you know, that I, I do feel to make them as real as that. I almost have to live their personality. Mm. Um, so for the 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 six to eight weeks of actually writing the first draft I'm I'm that person <laughs> <laughs> and have you felt quite sad when you've had to kill off particular characters yeah yeah with killing them off yeah I've cried when when uh when characters have died yeah and and then I know that it's probably uh the right thing because mm. if it's given me a big reaction like that um then it's probably quite gonna be good to read um some scenes particularly the medical scenes when um you know I, I I've tried to use my experience as a as a doctor um to to my advantage and for for the reader's enjoyment and and a lot of of the advanced readers have said that they've enjoyed the medical aspects because they do seem quite so real and because it's mm. quite nice to see this the the kind of the behind the scenes stuff of being a doctor the the resuscitation um scenes that i've had in in the books and and there's one of those in uh in the first um uh, in death by appointment and there will be other situations where where medical um procedures have to take place they're not graphically um difficult to read i wouldn't say but they are very real and when i'm writing them i'm almost shaking shaking as i'm doing it because 
I've I have done those resuscitations and yeah. I've experienced those things and I've I've put in my own personal experience very much into the book so hopefully that does come across yeah let's talk about your um sort of transition into becoming a writer then because uh mm. you were originally uh in medicine and you said you were more of a a sciencey person than a kind of yeah. creative person so can you talk a little bit about that transition and how you became interested in writing when did you first start writing did you write as a child yeah I I did write as a child actually and I, I attended a summer school for creative writing when I was growing up and I was really encouraged by one teacher in particular but yeah that really did take a back seat and um and science, I, I totally went down that route and went to medical school. And when you're um, a doctor, you just genuinely don't have time to read anything other than medical journals. Well, I, I certainly didn't. And I um, qualified as a, as a general practitioner and had special interests in addiction, psychiatry and um, psychosexual health problems and family planning. Um, worked as a GP uh, full time, reasonably successfully I would say I really enjoyed the work and um and then I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and uh basically my life came crashing down when I, when I had that diagnosis so I'd been unwell um for a number of months and had been kind of managing to muddle through um but when I when I went to to see a psychiatrist, I knew exactly what was what was wrong with me. I diagnosed myself long before I had to actually see anyone, um, and I was told to stop work. And the psychiatrist um, uh, started me on medication, and um, he he kind of advised me after many sessions and, and me starting to feel a little bit better. He advised me to do some kind of artistic therapy. Um, to fill my days because going from working full-time as a doctor to doing nothing is very very difficult and um, yeah just um, to do something and feel you've achieved something at the end of it and there's so much evidence to show that um, writing um, as a form of therapy is really effective. Um, I he, he didn't specify writing to be fair uh, I, and I would have tried painting. I'm, my mum's actually an artist, but I can't paint at all. I'm useless. <laughs> so um, I did start writing again because that had been something that I'd done as, as a child. And um, yeah, I, I'll, at the beginning, the words were really incoherent. And um, but I, I did find great satisfaction at the end of the day, having a full page of words. Um, no one was ever going to read it, obviously. Um, and then as I began to get better, um, I, I started challenging myself to write more and more. And then, I, I mean, the goalposts always change with me. So, um, and I'm quite ambitious. So then the next challenge was, I wonder if I could write a full book. And then after I'd written a couple of full length books, like I say, no one will ever, ever read those books, but they were, it was, it was practice of writing daily. Yeah. That, that was the main, main benefit of that. But then it was, I wonder if I could write a murder mystery because that's what I read. Mm. Um, so it came about that way. So I probably wrote about five or six full length novels yeah. and um, in, in that time. And uh, as I say, they were, they were hopeless, but the, it got me into, into the way of writing mm. and it, and it was a really good exercise. And, um, and I found that, yeah, um, I, I just, 
I just found it was almost like a compulsion then it was it was a necessity to write after that um and uh the kind of the path to publishing after that was that um I, I, I let somebody, well, I let a few people read um, one of the later creations and they said, no, it's good. You, you should start looking to publish. And that hadn't really been on my mind. And, and because the writing and the, the, the type of books these, these are are about medicine and a little bit of bipolar and there's quite a lot of me in it, um, it was quite a leap of faith to even do that, to, to mm. approach anybody. Um, but I did, and I got a lot of rejections, and then um, I, I got um, offered a, a book deal, a three-book deal, um, and at the time uh, I was delighted, but I, I wasn't really mentally in the right place to take that deal, and the publisher was a small publisher, and they were keen to, to put the books out quite quickly and keen for me to write a lot more. Um, and the pressure would have just been too great, so I actually backed out of that and um, uh, independently published um, a few of the, the earlier books. Um, but again, that, that had its difficulties too. Mm. Um, and uh, I thought I'd, uh, last year I decided to, to give uh, the, the publishers one last shot and I approached Bloodhound Books um, directly and they offered the seven book deal. So that's how the whole situation came about. Um, but the the writing, as I say, even if I even if I wasn't published, I would still feel I had to do mm. it now. Um, it's kind of um, it's it's kind of the route to wellness for me. Yeah, um, you've yeah. Um, you, you wrote a lovely um, blog post that I will share on the show notes when I upload the podcast um, about how writing for you is like catharsis. And yes. um, yeah. you've said a lot about how there's a lot of you in Dr. Kathy Moreland and you got to fulfill your kind of medical career through her. Um, yes. And can you talk it a became, little, sorry. Yeah. yeah, it became clear that I wasn't really going to be able to return to work easily. And certainly at the beginning, it was the plan that I would in my head anyway. I don't know if the psychiatrist was as convinced that I would be able to, because I was really quite unwell. Um, but I, I had quite a lot of serious relapses with hypomania and um, yeah, I didn't want to, to mess people around, mainly my patients, but also my partners um, mm. by coming in and out of, of practice. Um, so for, for kind of, to, I kind of sacrificed that and, and decided to, to step back at least for a few years, but the longer you're away from medicine, the more difficult it is to get back into, it, I suppose. Um, and I suppose I'm I'm really fortunate that I have found a second career. Um, but yes, it's still it's still painful not working as a doctor. My husband's mm. a GP, and um, at the beginning when he used to come home and talk about his patients and so on, it used to he didn't realise it, but it used to be incredibly hurtful. Um, but yeah, I'm past that now, and I'm I, no no plans to return to work. I don't think mm. anyone would take me back now. <laughs> <laughs> and what about? Um how you feel about kind of the representation that Kathy gives um, as someone with bipolar, Do, how important yeah, is that to um, you? Really important. So I think if I'd chosen to write a memoir, for example, that would have been much more difficult for me. Kathy gives me this kind of almost veil um, and I can talk about, I mean, all, all her bipolar issues are not mine. 
um, I haven't been admitted to a psychiatric hospital as she is in the first book, um, but um, I've I've looked after many patients. I've I've you know worked in psychiatry and 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 I know firsthand uh, what it's like in a psychiatric hospital. Mm. Um, so I I think I'm putting across a fairly fair representation of it um, from the doctor and from the patient's viewpoint. Um, but yeah, Cathy uh, was always. That I think every really good book should have a reason to be written. And my reason for writing um, this whole series has been, um, yes, to, to, to give a, an entertaining story and a murder mystery to solve and so on, but also to, to put across this true representation of bipolar disorder and to gift almost the, the mental health issue um, to, to somebody and, and to prove that um, despite having such a serious mental health um, issue, you can lead a fulfilling life and one that is rich and uh, useful and <laughs> enjoyable. And the, the alternative way of thinking that comes with bipolar, which I, I truly believe is the case, does lead to great things. And mm. certainly it does with Dr. Kathy Moreland with her um, solutions to the mysteries, because without the, the different way of thinking, she maybe wouldn't come to those solutions. So um, that's been the, the kind of the, the reason to, mm. to put it out there. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Going back to um, your book deal with Bloodhound, um, Bloodhound mm. Books, they're an independent publisher. And um, mm. so the journey to get that deal is slightly different. So you don't, you're, you don't have an agent and they, am I right in thinking they offered you a seven book deal from the get-go? Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> So I went to them really with um, maybe four and a half, five and a half books fully written and the idea for the, the final two. And um, yeah, they were happy to take them. And in fact, I didn't say to, to Bloodhound that I have this, uh, this uh, issue with like deadlines, that I have to meet deadlines and that I, I get, I put myself under a lot of pressure, but I think most um, publishers would expect you to do that. But Bloodhound have actually been really supportive and, uh, you know, uh, I think it doesn't matter that I've, I've got bipolar or not. They've, they've, um, they've been really supportive of, um, of being sensitive about the deadlines and things. And um, 
it, it is a busy schedule getting because I've got different books at different stages of editing at the moment. And uh, yeah, you, you do really have to keep on top of things um, and keep in direct contact with the editor and the um, uh, well, the, uh, the entire team really um, all, all the time. So yeah, I, I would say it's it's worked out and, it, and it's worked in my best interest to do it this way. Um, I think if I hadn't had any ideas, I would have felt very panicked to get mm. the last two ideas for books out. Um, but because I, I had a really fairly firm idea, I felt confident enough to say, yes, I can I can fulfill what, what you what you're um, signing me for. So um, you went to them with, you say, four books already written and you've, yeah. you've now finished four and a half. All- Four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> You've mm-hmm. now finished uh, all seven. Yes. And so do you still find, I mean, I know you meant, you've mentioned to me before we started recording that um, <laughs> you've, you've written another one. I'm just, yes. I'm just blown away when you said you, you <laughs> when you initially said you had seven book, a seven book deal, I was thinking that is the most terrifying <laughs> prospect ever. Um, and you've talked about there is a pressure with the deadlines. Um, yes. And you mentioned, I think, in a previous question, it takes you about six to eight weeks to write a first draft, which seems yes. like a really short time. So are you, you said, mm. are you a fast writer? What's your writing schedule? Are you a, a write every day person? Do you get up at a uh, stupid <laughs> clock to write? What's, what's your schedule? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm, I'm, I think this maybe this is just the strong work ethic in me with the medicine and so on Mm. but I'm really really hard on myself when I'm writing and um so I I will have long spells when I don't write and I'm just reading um but when I'm writing I have the idea there I um I force myself and sometimes it is a case of forcing yourself I force myself to sit down early in the morning and write until I've got 2000 words every single day and I do not take a wow. single day off um I've done that even weekends absolutely or... oh wow absolutely okay. <laughs> so um and I, the reason I say that is I have tried to do it with weekends off and things uh it doesn't work for me because um I write what I call free flow so um I write like no one's going to read my first draft and I don't reread what I've written mm-hmm. and the only way I can do that is by knowing in my head what I've written the previous day if I had gave myself a day off even uh, or two, certainly two days off at the weekend I would have to go back and reread what I wrote yeah. the, and I would start editing it without uh, I mean there's no question I, I become very self-critical and um, I will I will hate what I've previously written. So if I just plow on, get through the first draft, um, then it is the best way for me to do it. As I say, I've tried it different ways and it just doesn't work for me. So yeah, the, doing this um, forced, <laughs> it sounds really awful. It's like it's torture. very cruel, it's yeah, not, punishing not, schedule. <laughs> I actually really enjoy it. When I'm writing, I'm at my absolute mm. happiest. Um, but yes, it, it exhausts me. So by the end of the six to eight weeks, I'm broken. And particularly as I get into the last maybe quarter of the book, when I'm tying things together, um, I write really fast. So I'll, I'll, t- I'll often get out 6,000 words a day. And I'm really, I, 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 I'm 
quite often working in a, a slightly hypomanic state and um, I'll collapse at the end of the day and be tearful and so on because I'm, I've worked myself so hard, but it, it works and it gets the book done. And then after I've got the, the first draft written, I don't look at it again for maybe a month, two months. I just, it sits on the computer and I just take a complete break. Um, and then I go back to it, reread it and know what I have to do with it. Um, and I'm at that stage with book eight at the moment. I've, you know, I've, I'm going to have to go back maybe in a, in a couple of weeks time. I'll go back to it again and read it through. Um, so, yeah, it works for me. I know I know for a lot of people, they would they would hate to do it that way. But mm. it's, it's the best way to get something done. And I'm, I'm very much a, a like a, I like getting something finished and over with and on to the next thing so um yeah definitely that would that would definitely be a uh something i would i would stick to is to just don't don't read over what you've written before you just end <laughs> up destroying yourself by doing it so you'll hate everything you've written before um, yeah. certainly in the first draft if if i started rereading what i'd written the day before ah no mm. it would it would never be written <laughs> yeah <laughs> talking of um tips and advice what three tips do you have for people who are writing kind of in the, the cozy crime genre that you're writing in? Well, I, I mean, I think it would it would apply to any genre, but definitely the the free flow. So write as if no one's going to read it. That that gives you so much freedom to um, to get words on a page. And the truth is, unless you've got words on the page, you can't edit them and you can't make them better. Mm. So um, just getting anything out is is better than than doing nothing. That's that's what I think. It's the best way to move a story along and not overthink it. Um, and sometimes the best stuff I write is um, is stuff that I haven't really thought too much about. Um, it comes out really naturally that way. So that would be one tip. Um, what else? I would say um, in between in between writing books, I read a lot, but I, I'm really specific about what I read. So I, I read really good quality stuff. So if you're if you're writing cozy crime, then read the real greats like you know P.D. James and uh, Josephine Tay and um, you know Agatha Christie, Dorothy Sayers, and you know those sort of, sort of people. And uh, you, it doesn't matter how many times you you read the books, uh, you'll still pick up more um, tips and and um, and techniques. So that's that's my second uh, tip, um, and my third one. Um, another, it's, I suppose it's another way to get ideas. Um, for me, I, I, this sounds awful even saying this, but I listen <laughs> into people's conversations. So even if I'm in the supermarket queue or something, sometimes a little snippet of conversation will give you an, a really good idea. Um, I went for a spell, so I, I, I'm really fortunate that I don't go for months and months and months without ideas, but I did go for a period without without any well, any good ideas anyway. And um, I realized I live in the country and I see few people um, other than the farmers and so on. So I thought, well, I need to I need to get out of the house a bit more and meet a few more people. So I uh, volunteered at a local charity shop um, and it was just a couple of days uh, a week. And I actually ended up working there for, for six months. But um, my intention was, wasn't really that. I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't that altruistic, but it, it, I, I'm glad that I did some good by doing what I was doing. But in truth, it was to listen into conversations. <laughs> 
So, so your um, tip is volunteer Jane, at a charity shop. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go for it. Go to the local Red Cross and volunteer. But it really, the people that come in every day are different. And um, even if you're just sorting clothes in the back room, um, oh, just there's so many snippets of gossip and so many little bits of intrigue about the local area I, I picked up so much from that charity shop um, I never told the people what I was doing there um, but uh, <laughs> I hope they never read the books but um, yeah no they gave me so many great ideas and so many great characters came from that and in fact my I'm, I'm looking at the order of my books my third third book uh, titled Deadly Diagnosis. Um, uh, there is a charity shop in that book. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Based, so, um, yeah. based on the one you worked <laughs> in. Mm, I wouldn't like to say that. But, yeah, a few characters maybe came from that. So wow. um, yeah, just putting yourself, not joining a charity shop, but put yourself in a situation that you wouldn't normally be in. Maybe, yeah. Um, uh, so that you're meeting people from different walks of life. The, the good thing about... Um, working as a as a GP in particular was you meet you know so many different people um every single day and um that everybody's got an interesting story and I think that's why I was so drawn to the psychiatry side of medicine mm. um and um when I when I was working was you get longer um appointment times with patients to sit and talk to them and to hear their story properly um and yeah I think um a big part of medicine is about listening to stories so um yeah, speak to people or, or listen in. To listen in, that's yeah. My, that's my <laughs> that's, biggest tip. That's yeah. great. That's really good advice. <laughs> um, speaking about um, novels that you think uh, are good comparisons to death by appointment. So if people enjoy the particular novel, mm. what, what books do you think go well with yours? I hate these comparisons because you almost <laughs> feel like you're shooting yourself down by even making them. But but the structure no, go bold, the, go big. Well, the structure and the actual style is uh, is Agatha Christie kind mm -hmm. of. Um, uh, it, it's kind of atmospheric Agatha Christie, I would say. Um, I would love to be compared one day to. Uh, Freeman Wills Croft, who's this really, he was this uh, golden age uh, of uh, detection author who, uh, I think he was a railway engineer and his writing um, was so carefully plotted and planned. It's everything I would dream to be able to do. And he must have sat down with railway timetables and all <laughs> kinds of intricacies. And um, uh, I would love to be that kind of a writer if only I could aspire to that. But yeah, I, I would say the 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 one that people would know about would be Agatha Christie. Mm. And that's that, that, um, that kind of style um, would, yeah, I think people who like Agatha Christie would enjoy my books. Yeah, so. definitely, definitely. And I'm gonna finish on the, as I always say, the, the worst question, which is, are you working on anything new? Now I know you've just done number <laughs> eight in the series, but have you got any other books or you're thinking of or ideas maybe that are not, Dr. Cathy Moreland, or are you thinking yeah. of carrying on? Well, I when I in between books, when I when I'm not kind of coming up with plot things, I do scholarly essays, and this might sound so boring, um, but it's not to me. It's really exciting to me. <laughs> so I write about um, medicine and psychiatric disorders um, in fiction, 
Um, so I've got a few bits and pieces that I'm doing with that. Um, and yeah, I've told you, I've just finished book eight. So that's still sitting, waiting to be worked on. But this year is going to be a really busy year because Bloodhand planned to release um, each of the books monthly. Um, oh, wow. So I'm, yeah, so I'm going to be at various stages of editing mm. um, rounds uh, with each of the books. And it's already started this year. <laughs> so, um, so in January, um, Death by Appointment comes out. And it, well, that's just in a, in a few days. February, um, Murder and Malpractice is coming out. March, we've got a deadly diagnosis. Uh, in April, we've got shooting pains. May is clinically dead. June is not for recess. <laughs> and in July, the vanishing patient. Um, so wow. the, I'm, I'm going to be totally bogged You're gonna down. You're going to be so busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but do you know, I will, I will find time to, to, to write more. And in fact, uh, last year, end of last year, I was doing uh, a few short stories and I was really enjoying doing those. So um, uh, I've got a newsletter follower um, uh, following and um, they, uh, they really enjoy a, a, a little uh, sneaky Christmas short story on the side oh, about brilliant. Dr. Kathy Moreland and things. So yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll be doing some more of those um, throughout the year. So um, that'll, that'll fill my, my gaps quite nicely. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, I don't envy your schedule at all, <laughs> but thank you so much for speaking with me today. It's been great oh, it's to talk been, about your lovely. books and your process. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. That's great. That was Mari Chong talking about her cosy crime novel, Death by Appointment, out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.